Pastor Xavier Reese, reminding us not to sell short the transforming message of the gospel. Every one of us have a great responsibility towards the sinning saint. At times, believers are never confronted for their sin by their own family members. That's bad enough. Other times, believers are not confronted by their friends if they're single. At other times, the church fails to confront. That's why the church is as messed up as it is, because pastors do not teach the Word of God. They don't teach about sin, repentance, the gospel. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We live in a day where committing adultery is described as an affair, and same-sex marriage has found favor nearly everywhere. So how dare we confront anyone about sin? Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as he shares three important principles and simple truths necessary for confronting a brother or sister in love. Let's listen. When people are confronted with their sin, often they think they're being judged wrongly and that the person is exalting themselves above them. Now, though that can be true, it often isn't. Too many things get intertwined with relationships and communications and you've got the evilness of our own heart. And to make things worse, you've got advice of carnal people given to the people who are confronted, which brings in questioning to the motives of the person doing the confronting that is scriptural. And you've got just a mess of things. You see, if it wasn't for people, the church would be the greatest place in the world. But God has chosen the church to be full of people who are sinful, who can live above sin through the Spirit of God. But we still have the potential of sin in us. And we must deal with it. Such was the case with Paul as the false teachers had slandered him falsely, accusing him regarding his ministry to the Corinthians. They were slandering him, bad-mouthing him. Carnal people are always there to turn you away from the truth and to cause you to be a divisive person, a critical person, a, a selfish person. Always remember that. And then in verse 15 on down to 22, he explained to them that his change of plans were not due to being fickle or irresponsible, but rather to the leading of God through his Holy Spirit. Paul now explained that the reason for not coming to Corinth was due to his love for them, which is evident by three things. Let me read here. Um, verse 23, and the chapter break is unfortunate. This would be a better break, a more natural break. Again, chapter and verse division is by man, not by the inspiration of the Spirit. For the most part, they're pretty good, but a better break would be there because it breaks it up in the middle. So verse 23 says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. 
For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul's explanation and reason for not coming to Corinth was due because he loved them. It's evident by the following. First, verse 23 and 24, Paul determined not to confront the Corinthians. Secondly, verse 1 and 2, Paul determined to not grieve any further the Corinthians. And then in 3 and 4, Paul determined to wait for a response to his letter from the Corinthians. Paul determined to not confront the Corinthians, 23 and 24. There is wisdom in waiting sometimes, not all the time. In this case, it was. Verse 23, Paul the Apostle called God to examine the truthfulness of his words to the Corinthians because they're fickle children, they're carnal. They, they're kind of like, uh, you know, as when you're talking to your teenage kids when they first start out and all of a sudden they start rolling their eyes, they think that uh, you don't know anything. It's kind of the situation that's going on here. In verse 23, Paul understood the importance of the character of a witness. He says, moreover, I call God as witness. And the word witness in the legal sense is a spectator who gives anything as testimony, as accepted truth to what he has seen. So a witness is one who is willing to attest to the reality and the actual facts, whether it be through seeing, hearing. He has to be a trustworthy person. And though he can attest to what he hears, sees, or reads, or whatever it may be, he can never be called to give a witness to the genuineness of the heart of a man. That's impossible. So Paul, the apostle here, requests for the internal witness that only God knows. Sometimes as Christians we forget that. And we start living like we did in the world. And we lie. We exaggerate. We're not as truthful. And we forget that God sees and hears all. He just got through telling them the reason for his altered plans of not coming to them. And they were true. Now he makes the connection and he goes on to also continue telling more truth. It's a continuation. He called for the ultimate witness of God to do what is perfectly natural for God, to see what's in the heart. That is impossible for man. Now, there are things that people can do that we can judge the action, and we better judge the action, but I can never judge why they did it. But now, if you know a person long enough, then they have a reputation then you have an inclination why they might. But even at, and we can probably hit it most of the time, but at that point still, we can't read the heart because we're not God. Now notice Paul understood his words were an oath to bring serious consequences to his life. He says, against my soul. He called, means to invoke God, to give testimony against him if he was not telling the truth. Because the Corinthians think Paul's not being upfront with them. Here he's communicating the honesty of his words, and he's communicating their ability to trust his words. He's giving them benefit of the doubt, as you as parents do with your children. 
You're giving him the benefit of the doubt. He was taking a curse upon himself against his saved soul here. This was not a light matter. This was of the utmost seriousness. And he communicates this very clearly to them. Now notice that this is not the only time, but he had a custom of calling God to bear witness of what he was saying. Um, these are found throughout the New Testament. I call God to bear witness. I lie not. God knows. Uh, Romans 1.9, Galatians 1.20, Philippians 1.8, 1 Thessalonians 2.5, to mention a few. And he constantly does this. Uh, to the Romans, in fact, in Romans 9.3, he said he could wish himself a curse for Israel if Israel could be saved. Paul's an incredible man. This epistle, 2 Corinthians, is the rent heart of a pastor. Just poured out. Every pastor should understand this epistle so good because, let me give you a secret. We are bad, bad news if we don't walk in the Spirit. <laughs> Paul undeniably stated his caring confession. Listen, that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. He did not go to Corinth for the purpose of sparing them. He was thinking of them, not of himself. This is the problem with parents and children. Often the children think the parents are being unfair because they don't have the experience or the wisdom. They're immature. But the parent has to hold the ground. They're the adult. This is the same thing with Paul. The word spare there means to abstain or to forbear. He was thinking of them giving them time to consider their carnal state. Certainly they had offended him. Certainly he was hurt. But he wasn't moved by that hurt or by the words. He's the adult. He's a parent. This applies in principle to all of us who are the more mature when things happen like that from others. He abstained from going to Corinth hoping for repentance on their part. That's the goal. In, in 1 Corinthians 4.18, he had told them that some were puffed up as though he were not coming to them. Because they were saying, ah, in, in letter he's powerful, he thinks he's bad, but in presence, ah, he's weak. He says, oh, really? I'll be there. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 4.21, he had asked them, if they wanted him to come with a rod or in love in the spirit of meekness, gentleness. Which one do you want? I can come with both. Whoa. He had sworn to them that he did not lightly alter his purpose of coming to them, but they did not come to him in order to not force himself to be more sharp with them. Again, he's thinking of them, not of himself. This is very important. Look at 24. The Apostle Paul called himself and the others who had taken part in the ministry at Corinth servants of and to the Corinthians. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Paul told them that they had no control over their personal faith in Christ. That is the beauty of it. You are personally responsible to God. You don't need me for your relationship or anybody else. Yet we're part of a body, and God has comprised the church as a body, and we affect one another. But your relationship is alone with Jesus Christ. The word dominion there means to have authority or exercise lordship over someone. And the word is used by Jesus when he was teaching his disciples in Luke twenty two twenty five. That the kings and Gentiles exercise lordship over men, and it should not be their custom. 
Now, sadly, too many pastors and leaders and Christians have forgotten this in the church. And they start exercising more authority than they are allowed by Scripture. The false teachers were saying Paul was attempting to run their lives. When in fact they were. In fact, um, when he gets to chapter 13, verse 10, he says, Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. The exercise of authority that Paul was putting forth was for their edification, for their good, but it wasn't being seen or interpreted like that. You as a parent understand this. Their faith implies their Christianity. He was not attempting to tell them his personal views on what they were to believe, what they were not to believe, but he was teaching scripture and their obedience to those commands. Often people get their feathers flustered because the pulpit is very direct. Listen, you have the same Bible I do. Are you a Christian? Are you being transformed? Your obedience is to Christ, his word, not me. And I must obey the same thing you have to obey. No different. He did not want to rule over the church, but direct them to obey the head of the church. But often people make it very personal because they're carnal or they're too worldly and they've allowed the mindset of the world to come into the church and they become carnal Christians. Worldly Christians. The Corinthians were like that. We've seen that in the first letter. Now notice that Paul told them that they were fellow workers for their joy. Together. The deceivers of Judaism were saying that these guys were trying to rip them off, take advantage of them, when in fact they were the ones. They were working in cooperation with each other for the purpose of what? Their joy, he says. Again, the focus is the Corinthians not them. The word but marks a sharp contrast there between the attempting to be lords when in fact they were attempting to serve them. The contrast is also between the false teachers who were trying to lord over them and the apostles who wanted to liberate them from the deceivers. You know, it's like a parent tells his son, he says, listen, I don't want you hanging out with Johnny. Well, why that? Just, just trust me. Because your child can't see certain things. You, you can't. You've been around the block a couple of times. You've been around a lot of Johnnies. In fact, you were Johnny. <laughs> Notice that joy would be the evidence of the Holy Spirit in them. Joy is the first manifestation of agape love, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Joy means gladness that is not conditioned upon circumstance or situations, but life in the Spirit. It has absolutely nothing to do with my emotions, my feelings, my circumstances. It has to do with my life in Christ and my submission to him, my ear tuned to him. So Paul told them that they stood by faith. He had come to Corinth to preach. And they came to faith on the basis of the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He had preached Christ crucified in 1 Corinthians 2.2. Paul did not come to preach with persuasive words, he said, of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that their faith should not stand the wisdom of man, but of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. This is the problem from the pulpit today in the church. There's too much motivational speaking. 
There's too much worldly stuff coming from the pulpit, marketing and everything else, but there's no preaching of the cross, of repentance, of sin. That's what's lacking in our churches today. He said they stood on their own in faith and not on anything that was dependent on them. I love it. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, in his first letter, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul was constantly trying to keep things away from, from being attached to the cross, not dilute the cross, not dilute the gospel. Again, Paul had told them that one plants another water, but God is the one who increases. He rewards the individual. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. But carnal people get caught up with the different parties, the different teachers. Oh, this guy, that guy, that guy. Forget it. They're all servants of Christ. Notice Paul pointed out also in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. He's very consistent in his message. Very consistent in his ministry. And that's what you want to look at a ministry. Consistency. A pastor, a pulpit, a church who does not waver like a weather vane. It depends which way the wind's blowing. I'm not looking for the latest craze. I'm just looking for God's direction and guidance in the same old stuff that's afresh every day. His word. Hmm. When we um, confront believers with their sin, it can be an uncomfortable situation, whether it be personally or in the church. They don't always want to be willing to acknowledge their sin, but rather ready to justify and excuse their sin. It's amazing how we are. They often will not believe your motive of love, but question and accuse you of being um, self-righteous or want to control their lives. That's the last thing that a pastor should want. In fact, that's why I teach you, so you can feed yourself. We have very little quote, quote, counseling in this church. Very little. Because your answers come from the pulpit. If you teach the word of God, you're getting fed. You're learning how to study. You, you study on your own. You're being used. You're in ministry. You're in the trenches. Not up in the bleachers. It's very important. The only thing we can do is to declare our witness before God to the truth of our words as we confront the spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, that you also be tempted. So we confront people in such a way to verify if it's true, not say, not accusing them, say, listen, this is what we've heard, we, we need to call you in. You need to affirm or refuse this, one or the other. And then from there, you take it. There has always been and always will be pastors, leaders, and churches who want to control people regarding their decisions they make. And um, during the late 60s, early 70s, it's called the shepherding doctrine. And so they, you get saved under the ministry, and they mentor you, and they kind of tell you what to do, where to go, who to hang out with, some ministries even, who to marry, who you shouldn't marry. That's weird. That's occultic. That should never be. If you're studying the Word of God, you're going to know your boundaries. You're going to know your new creation. You're going to know what the Word of God says. It's simple. This is all unbiblical. For every believer is responsible and accountable to Jesus alone. You have the same Word. 
the Bible. You have the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. You have the same mind, the mind of Christ. First Peter 5, 1 through 4, Peter kind of lays it out to pastors. He says, um, the others who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Feed them, tend them, oversee them. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. No one's to be forced. You come here on your own. You go on your own. You make the decisions you want. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not for money. That should never be the motive. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you. They're entrusted. You don't belong to me. You belong to the Lord. But be an example of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Sound, simple advice for shepherds and leaders. Pastors and leaders are to exercise biblical and spiritual authority regarding confrontation and discipline in view of repentance. That's always the goal. Calling them to confirm the truth or the fallacy of that accusation. Sometimes people get the wrong information. Confronting them to repent of their sin, to continue in fellowship in the church because sin hinders their life and the church's life. It's just simple. But see, Matthew 18 is given for the protection and the purity of the church. I think that for the most part, most, the majority of churches don't use Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is basic and it will keep the house clean. Listen carefully. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Notice the response falls on the innocent party, not the guilty party. Say, so you should go to him. No, I didn't do nothing. He has to come. No, no, no. You're the innocent party. Your responsibility is to go to them because they're in sin. They don't see it. You go by one. If he repents, hey, it's buried. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take you with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So then two, and if that's the work, then by three. Each time you're, you're enlarging the circle only by one, so if, what, if it's resolved, gossip and loose lips can be found out. Real simple. God is amazing, but people don't practice this. We do. We always have, always will. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. So there comes a time when he doesn't acknowledge and refuses to acknowledge or repent that you may have to ask him to leave. Hebrews um, 13, 17 says, Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So the submissiveness to leadership is only in as far as the scriptures declare, not beyond the scriptures. We have no authority over each other, only accountability regarding the scriptures. As you come to this church, you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm accountable to the Lord, I'm accountable to the scriptures, and I put myself in submission to this ministry only in as far as the scriptures are concerned, bottom line. But we don't rule you, we don't force you. But we do have an accountability and responsibility to confront you if you're in sin. So Paul determined to not confront the Corinthians out of love. So there is a time, but he had already confronted them. He's waiting now. Pastor Xavier Reese. 
with the simple truths and biblical approach for confronting sin. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And you can request your own copy of today's challenging study as well. It's available for just $4 when you request it by the title, Painful Love Can Be Misunderstood. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to someone in your church or Bible study. Now, the title to ask for once again is, Painful Love Can Be Misunderstood. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Do you love someone enough to tell them that without Christ they're going to hell? Learn more about open love when you join Pastor Xavier Reese next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com